uh, my wonderful, beautiful wife, uh, helped us design the stage this year. Uh, we got the presents up here, and these new backdrops are even wrapped to kind of look like presents. This is kind of our theme for all of December is the gift. Um, and today's uh, specific topic is expectant, that we come expectant into this season of Christmas talking about uh, the gift. So how many of the rest of you, uh, like our church is looking good now and got some decorations up, how many of y'all have decorated for Christmas at your house at this point already? So some, some head shakes no, some yes. How many of you, it was like, you know, Halloween ended and you were throwing it up, Yeah. You're, you're those people in my in our house. I'm like, I got to have Thanksgiving over and then we can get it up. It drives her crazy. She'd have it up probably all year if I let her. But the greatest thing is that it's my first year being married at Christmas. And so Kate is just like taking care of all of it. It looks amazing. Um, she's like, what do you think about this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't you know, I don't have a preference it looks great it's it, and it's it's totally kate it is it is green white and gold everywhere and it looks it looks good it looks so clean looks amazing um and we're not the only one that thinks so our our 85 pound poodle oliver thinks it looks great too got home the other day and he had taken this um thankfully he's only like this five dollar little plastic gold deer from target um i was like i was looking at him he's sitting in, in, in the living room and, you know, he's always got something he's messing with. Normally, it's his. It's a bone or toy or whatever. And I look, and he has got that deer in his. Yeah, Brother Richard knows about Oliver. He has got that deer in his paws going to town on the antlers. I'm like, Kate, did you did you give that to him? And she's like, give what to him? I'm like, your deer. And she's like, what? No, my gold deer. And she goes over and takes it. Bro. What are you doing, bad dog? You know. So so he loves it, too. He loves that, it, uh, that, that it's set up. And in the past, he's gotten a hold of a nativity uh, thing that was from Jerusalem. She took a trip to Jerusalem in college. And so one day he grabbed a hold of that and, you know, about tore that up. How many of you have a nativity set up in your home anywhere? Nativity set up somewhere? Yeah. Uh, we grew up with one, and, and Pastor Ryan shared something similar with his boys whenever he said that. said it this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, that was us, too, that, you know, it's kind of chipped. It's been around a long time. You know, little baby Jesus is intact, but, you know, the mule is, like, missing an ear, and, you know, who knows where Joseph's staff is. It's long gone. You know, but you got to set it out each year, and so, you know, you kind of have to get creative after a while and start adding to it, and me and my siblings growing up, we got real creative, and we would love to play a game to see it sat in our foyer right when you came in the front door, and we like to play a game that with mom and dad to see how long would it take for them to realize that we've added something to the nativity. So you could have, like, Darth Vader sitting in there, or one time I replaced baby Jesus with the little Yoda figurine. Uh, you know, so we love to see how long till mom and dad, you know, notice that, that this is, has been changed. Uh, and so we're not alone in this. There's a story of a, of a little boy. And he hadn't been very good all year. He was definitely on Santa's naughty list, on his way to getting coal in the stocking for Christmas. And his parents tell him, look, you ain't been good this year, and you know it. So rather than writing a letter to Santa, they said, you need to write a letter to Jesus, and you need to apologize for all, all that you've done this year. Like, you've, you've messed up. So the little boy sits down, he's huffing and puffing. The parents are like, you need to explain to Jesus, you know, why in the world do you think you need anything for Christmas? You did so bad. So he starts writing it out, dear Jesus, I've, I've been really good for the past six months. And he sits there and looks at it. And he's like, no, nah, that's not true. Scratches it out. Dear Jesus, I've been really good for the past three months. He's like, no, that's not true either. Scratches it out. And he's, you know, dwindling it down. He's like, man, I hadn't even been good for the past two weeks. You know, I know I've messed up. I know I've been a bad boy. So he's like, you know, forget this. 
He looks over across the room. He sees the nativity. He walks over. He picks up Mary out of the nativity scene, comes back down, sits down, and goes, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mom again, you better. <laughs> That's Ryan's story, okay? Not mine. Totally ripped that off. So, uh, pretty good stuff there. So, we're going to talk about uh, some, some members of the nativity scene this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about the Magi. Uh, and how they were expectant. They brought gifts. They worshiped. Let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 2. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. So this kind of drops us in. Matthew's uh, telling of, of the nativity story uh, starts off with the Magi here. So let's, let's read about them and what they were up to starting in verse 1 of Matthew 2. It says, Jesus was born... In Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and they quote Micah here. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let's talk about these, these magi for a second. Who, who were these guys? We, we don't get a whole lot. Uh, about them, and you know, I feel like every year at Christmas time, I see some Facebook post about, well, you know, the uh, wise men actually weren't at the uh, manger scene; they all uh, they all came much later. You know, these people that jump in with what they know on Facebook, and so I feel like that pops up every Christmas nowadays. And so, what what do we know for a fact about these guys? We know for certain that they were prophesied in books of the Old Testament that. These men were going to come and behold him. That was already uh, talked about. And so uh, they were very smart dudes, very wise people. Most likely they were astrologers, uh, possibly from Persia. We know that they came from, from the east. Uh, and more than likely there were more than three of them. There was probably a whole bunch of them. We get that uh, concept of three because there were three gifts. But more than likely there were a whole lot of these guys. And they could have traveled anywhere from six months up to two years of traveling just to come and see this newborn king that they had read about and that this star was was guiding them to. And so they're following this star, and, and you know we're not exactly sure what caused this. There's lots of different ideas about stars or planets aligning, but whatever it was, they knew something was different about this. This isn't an everyday occurrence. They studied the stars. They knew them. They knew there's something different. There's something special about this, and they were following this star. And I think all of us, we, we follow stars. We like to follow things that are shiny. We like to follow things that are uh, attractive to the eye and have charisma and, you know, these things that are attractive to us. And so they're very expectant. You know, there's this huge 
light in the sky that catches their their eye and and they want to go see what is this about like any of us naturally would when there is something you know big and bright happening we want to go check things out you know we want to go see uh what's happening and so they start on this journey they they start going off and i just find it really interesting that for them to have gone to jerusalem really would have been kind of out of their way and it wouldn't have necessarily even been on their way to bethlehem the star was not leading them to bethlehem uh, i mean to jerusalem it was leading them to bethlehem and i just wonder why in the world did they feel like they had to make this stop in jerusalem and i really do think that it was that when they came to jerusalem that they thought everybody else in this town especially the jewish scribes and and the um the pharisees they would have been you know, really excited about this. They would have been uh, well-versed enough in the Scripture to know that this was happening. But when they get there, they find something totally the opposite. They find people that are just kind of indifferent to this coming of a newborn king. Matter of fact, Herod hates it. Herod absolutely hates it. There's this, oh, there's this new king that's going to come and try to take my spot. I don't think so. And he sends out this decree um, that every child two years and younger uh, would be killed, and I think that it probably probably terrified Herod. I mean, think about the last time that a king, a lowly king, came out of Bethlehem was was David, a shepherd boy, came out of Bethlehem, and and it turns out that he became the shepherd of all of of Israel. And this prophecy here even says a ruler. This is verse uh, six of Matthew two, a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd. For my people Israel, you know, this prophecy is being read and Herod's got to be thinking, all right, last time, last time a little little kid came out of Bethlehem, you know, he took over this whole thing. And so I think Herod begins to get a little worried about this next king that's coming out of this tiny town. And so the Magi come in and they're figuring this out like, all right, King Herod obviously is he's upset about this. But really, the rest of the scribes were just kind of eh, just kind of indifferent. They had the knowledge before them. They they go and tell Herod that yeah here's what the prophecy says it says that he's going to be in Jerusalem but they don't really seem overly concerned about it they're just kind of like yeah whatever and so I think this probably confuses the magi a little bit like why is nobody else as fired up about this as we are you know we're we're going after this thing but Herod tells him you know go figure it out come back and tell me uh what you find and and they even make it uh, a point to, to say that you know the magi entered Jerusalem and they say we We've come from distant lands. We're traveling to see his star. Verse 2 of chapter 2 specifically points out that it says that we saw uh, his star, um, specifically God's star. It wasn't just an accident. We saw his star uh, rising in the east. And so much different than kind of rising stars that we think of. You know, I think of rising stars. I think of like celebrity shows and I you know I think of like talent shows of these rising stars and people to watch and you know here the Hollywood movie stars you know we can get caught up in that and and caught up in putting these people on a pedestal and make idols out of these people and really you know thinking uh something very highly of them you ever met a Swifty oh my goodness you know don't you know don't get them talking about T Swift you know they'll go crazy you know these people that are just stars in Hollywood some of these young ladies over here making not contact with me like you better not talk about her like that. <laughs> we have these stars in our life, you know, but but biblical stars were much different. See, it wasn't about the star itself. 
it wasn't the match I was supposed to be worshiping the star or idolizing the star, but it was who the star pointed to. It was where that star was trying to get them. Biblical stars meant something different. Stars are signs that point you to something else. Stars are signs that point you to something else. And sometimes, especially in this Christmas season, maybe it's not a specific person. You know, I I hear the, you know, about about this time of year, maybe a little closer to Thanksgiving, we start to hear that, oh, here comes Mariah Carey. You know, she's uh, she's defrosting. Here comes Michael Buble. He's coming out of hibernation. You know, these stars are, you know, they're warming up. They're getting, getting their music ready. You know, I picture them coming out of this, like, deep freezer where they've been all year. And, you know, you start hearing <laughs> their music start playing again. These stars coming out of, you know, for Christmas time. Christmas time comes with a lot of glitz, a lot of glamour. There's a lot of commercialization to it. And we feel this. We feel this pressure to, got to get everybody a gift, you know. My goodness, this is our first year being married, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how her family does it, my family does it. And I'm like, Kate, every single person in my family is going to get you something. And she's like, I get something for one person in my family, and everybody in the family, you know, has someone assigned. We're figuring this stuff out. It's hard. It's difficult to figure out who do you get stuff for, and you don't want somebody to get something for you, and you don't have something to give back. You know, there's this pressure on us, right, this time of year with just this season it can be really difficult these things can become idols they can become things that try to distract us um, and we may not even realized uh, may not even realize what it is distracting us until um, Jesus steps in and asks us to give it up we don't know what our idols are until Jesus asks them asks us to give them up and so I picture the wise men they're following this star it's bright, it's beautiful, it's glamorous, it's glitzy, you know, it's got all the markings of something incredible and something wonderful, and they've been following it for possibly up to two years, you know, they've got these expensive, expensive gifts that they're bringing, and, and they're coming, and, you know, I just picture them walking up to, uh, you know, depending on how you, uh, how you want to believe it, whether they were there that night at the stable, or whether it was six months to even two years after the fact when it, that uh, they find Mary and Joseph and Jesus um, in a home later. Whatever it was, they show up, and it's just this kid. You know, regardless, it's an infant. He's, he's two years old or younger. And, and, you know, I just I imagine them coming up and being like, this is it. This is, I, spent, I spent two years, and it's just this little slobbery, wet-nosed kid. Like, that's it, you know. It's got to be a little bit of, of disappointment that, that comes with that. And sometimes Christmas can be filled with disappointment, you know. We've got big expectations for this time of year. It's right here at the end of the year. It almost feels like the whole year kind of builds up to it. And sometimes it can be disappointing. You know, how many of you, you had something on your Christmas list growing up that you didn't get? I've got stuff on my Christmas list I still don't have. I, it still never came to me. For the longest time, I wanted a like a full wheel, like an ATV. Now, I lived in a, like, suburban neighborhood. I don't know where I planned on riding this thing, but that didn't matter. You know, I wanted one. Mimi and Papa had one at their house. By golly, I wanted one at my house, you know, to ride whenever I wanted to, and it, it never showed up. Uh, you know, but I got wonderful other things, but just that thought in my mind, it was always there. I got all these packages and all these other things, but, you know, if there's ever that moment, it's like, man, these things are great, but I didn't get the four-wheeler that I wanted, you know? Remember these moments as kids in the Magi, man, I just feel like they're like, this is it. I've worked all this time and put all in this effort, and 
this is all that that it is, you know, maybe they felt a little bit of, of disappointment in that in that moment. Maybe this star that they had been idolizing and following really didn't give them what what all that they thought that it was. And maybe that it just uh, was asking more of them than they thought um, was was going to be worth it. And so what happens, uh, Pastor Ryan writes, what happens when you follow a star and you only find a stable? He's really good at those alliterations. What happens when you, f- when you follow a star and you only find a stable? When we are disappointed, the tendency is not to give our best. When we are disappointed, the tendency is not to give our best. And, you know, so then Christmas time hits. It's like, oh, well. I guess I'll just keep, maybe I'll just keep this gift for myself, or, you know, I got this really great Christmas bonus this year, and, you know, maybe I'll just kind of keep this to myself, and, and maybe it's really not my year to kind of give back, and, and, you know, it's this consumerism mentality that Christmas brings uh, with it, and the wise men definitely could have chosen to, to take on this mentality of, I've worked hard, I've traveled far, you know, I've met a really grumpy king and some people that weren't even ex- as fired up as I was back in Jerusalem, and now I'm finally here, and I'm a little disappointed too. And they could have just chosen to be like, all right, well, gosh, I ain't leaving my gifts with this kid and these, you know, smelly Jewish parents he's got. You know, why would I ever do that? But what blows me away is that the Magi, this is not their approach at all. They still come and worship the king. They still come with their gifts before them, even in the midst of maybe being a little bit disappointed, God turned the Magi's disappointment into a divine appointment. God turned the Magi's disappointment into a divine appointment. And see, their gifts were expectant, like we're talking about today. Their gifts were expressive. Their gifts were, were extravagant. They brought gold, frankincense, myrrh, and there's, you know, there's all sorts of super deep theology you can get into about why they would have brought these three things specifically. But at the base level, what I know is that they brought a costly gift. These were not cheap things. These were probably not things that Mary and Joseph or their families before them had ever owned or, or seen or, or, or having uh, or, or would have been able to use in the past. These were costly gifts that the Magi brought. They brought things that were not just easy things to give away, but they brought costly worship and gave to Jesus, laid these things. And, and, and most scholars think that this, these three gifts are what allowed Mary and Joseph to, uh, to stay safe in Egypt while Herod was going through the land and killing all these kids. These gifts allowed them financially to be stable in Egypt and to get out of Egypt and to kind of get their feet underneath them. It was the Magi bringing them these gifts in a, in a difficult season for them that was able to kind of push them into their future to protect the Savior of the world and, and to give him a, a great start in life. We have the Magi to thank for kind of boosting that. The best gift, though, that they brought, even though they brought these very expensive physical items on the first Christmas ever, the best gift that they brought was worship. And that's kind of our landing point today. The best gift that they brought was worship. The best gift that any of us can bring is our worship. Yeah, this season we can get caught up in, you know, Cyber Monday and Black Friday and all the Amazon deals going on. And, oh, I see this, you know, two-hour timer counting down. I better jump on this Amazon thing before it's gone and, and get caught up in that. But let's not forget this season that the greatest thing we can do 
is gather in this room, gather in your homes and life groups, gather together and really point our eyes, point our attention back on Jesus and worship him. The best thing, best gift that we can bring is worship. Have you ever played hide and seek with a little kid before? Yeah. Aren't they awful at it? Are they terrible? It's like, dude, I, I see your feet underneath that curtain right there. You're not, you know, you're not any good. At, or, or my favorite thing to do, like, with my little cousins that are, like, right at the perfect age for this is you get them laughing. You know, you just start making weird noises like you're an animal kind of, you know, coming in there. You know, just kind of making weird noises, and they just, <laughs> you know, they just get to giggling and laughing and give their, their uh, spot away. Or you just say, hey, Carson, where are you? I'm in here. You know, they don't. But I think the beautiful thing about that is that they want to be found, right? They're not, not actually trying to hide that hard from you. They want to be found. They get the most joy in that game when you finally find them, you scoop them up, you tickle them, you get them, you know. That's like the highlight of the game, right, is being found, not staying lost forever. And I think this was the case with, with baby Jesus. He wasn't trying to stay hidden. Christ, God himself, incarnate in our Lord Jesus. He's not trying to stay hidden from us, but just like a, a pure child, just he wants to be found. He wants us to draw near. He doesn't want to stay distant from us, but he wants it to be easy for us to draw close to come and find him. Jesus is the same way as that. God is the same way. And if you're looking for him and if you are trying to find him, the good news is that he's trying to find you too. And so y'all will be able to meet for sure. No doubt. Look for Jesus in this holiday season. But here's, here's my uh, uh, closing thought here is that there are three ways I believe that we can respond and the band can come back up at this time. There are three ways that, that we can respond. We're going to sing um, a great song. Here I am to worship. You know, can't beat it. The old classic we're going to sing through this together, um, and I believe that there are there are three responses to this that that we can have that are that are shown in this story very well. First of all, we can be bitter, we can have anger or hatred in our hearts because of this season or because of a past history with God, like Herod did. He had bitterness and hatred and anger in his heart. We can respond that way. The second way we could respond is like the scribes and the Pharisees did where they knew the good news. Man, they had it right in front of them. They had the Old Testament scrolls. They had every single prophecy. They had every single chance to know about Jesus. And yet they were just indifferent. They were like, yeah, there's a star out there. We know it's kind of been talked about. There's a king coming, so it's save us, whatever. They were very indifferent. Or hopefully this is where we all land. Number three is that we could worship him like the Magi that we can bring costly worship to Jesus this morning. Something that is gives something out of us. Best gift that we can bring this morning is our worship. Back to Jesus. Can you stand with me? So here's what I want us to do. If I could have the elders and the prayer team kind of come down front as well. Uh, we're going to sing through this song. And if there's nothing else this morning, I want us all just to be upward focused to to worship, but also know that if there is something harbored in your heart, if there's something going on in your life that you just feel is a hindrance to that worship, and you want to come lay that down and be rid of that, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and maybe this isn't the first time you've had to lay this specific thing 
down either, but it's just one more time. You keep kind of coming back and picking it up. Whatever it is, these elders, this prayer team is here for you. You can tell them all of it. You can tell them just a little bit, whatever you think they need to know. But there is so much power in partnering with elders. There's so much power in partnering with believers that want good things for you. Scripture says with the laying on of hands, the gifts are imparted. Freedom happens when we join together in unity on something. So these altars are open, if nothing else. Sing, here I am to worship.